Hey there, I'm Dr. Heather Hammerset. I'm a physician, integrative nutrition coach, and mama, and I love getting nerdy and practical around helping folks know how their brains and body work around food and sustainable health habits. Come check us out at the Curate Your Health podcast. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Financial Residency Podcast. You heard from Heather, and she's got a fantastic show. She's part of the Doctor Podcast Network. Highly encourage you to check out not only her show, but if you haven't heard about the Doctor Podcast Network, it is the network that Dr. David Jorginas, Desiree, and myself all set up for physicians, by physicians, to help physicians be able to amplify their voice and to be creative and to provide back to other physicians something truly meaningful into the world. And there's about 17 or 18 different shows on there now. Fantastic, super fun, something for everyone. So check out all the amazing podcasts there on the Dr. Podcast Network. You can just type that in, Dr. Podcast Network, and any of the podcast apps that you're listening to us right now on. We got a really fun show talking about how to manage your personal finances like a business. I think everyone will learn at least a little something, hopefully change a little bit of mindset as we're working through that. We're also going to have on a special guest, Dr. Brent Lacey from the Scope of Practice podcast, talking about running a practice more efficiently. Then we've got another cool segment with a financial malpractice that I love doing, excited to do those. And then of course, why it will end up with a disclaimer, but I'm going to give it to you right now. And that is also the disclaimer is super important. Please don't listen to me. Please don't take this as actual investment, insurance, financial planning, whatever other type of advice you could think of. I don't think you should listen to anyone on the internet because we don't know you or anything about you. So it's general, it's fun, it's lighthearted, they're tips, they're tricks, cheesy dad jokes, however you want to look at it, but is for entertainment and not specific financial planning advice. You can reach out to us at physicianwealthservices.com if you need actual real planning advice. We're happy to do that, honored to do it. But let's hear from today's sponsor before we jump in, which is MR Insurance. And they're a small business that helps physicians with their disability insurance needs. Michael Relvis is a CFP professional and insurance agent committed to helping physicians nationwide with their term life and disability insurance needs. He provides an objective, transparent, education-focused process that aims to help physicians make prudent decisions and avoid overcomplicating things. He exclusively offers true-own occupation disability insurance policies for residents, fellows, and attending physicians. We really love Michael here at Financial Residency and know that he's got your best interest at heart when it comes to disability insurance, and he'd be happy to help you with whatever your needs are. You can find Michael at drpodcastnetwork.com slash mrinsurance, or you can contact him at 800-817-4522. All right. Well, we are jumping in and the guest today is me. Sorry, you're stuck with me. But this is something I'm really passionate about. I really like the concept and I think that this will help all of you really tackle some of the mindset issues that you may have around your personal finances and just kind of addressing the elephant in the room. So let's get started. Now I think of my personal finances like one of our businesses, right? We've got Physician Wealth Services, we've got Financial Residency, we've got the Doctor Podcast Network, and I manage all of those finances like a true business, like what they are. But I also manage our personal finances like a business. Now, I'm gonna talk a lot more on that in our show. Now, I can just kind of envision you guys, you're standing at your computer screen, you see the amount of student loan debt you're carrying. I'm going to guess that it's not a bunch of warm, fuzzy feelings for you to see that, and it might actually make you physically ill. It shouldn't, though. 
Because as hard as it is to imagine when you see that total amount, I really want to challenge you guys today to begin looking at your student loan debt completely differently. I want you to think of that debt as a way of buying a business. Not only did you incur the debt to be able to take on that task of being a physician, you should be treating all aspects of your personal finances like a well-oiled machine, like a beautiful business. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that you no longer have a debt repayment plan. It simply means I want you to view your student loans as an investment in yourself. And now it's time to run your quote unquote business the same way that any small business would with tools, reporting statements, and a strategy to ultimately make profit. I know it's hard to wrap your head around the idea of buying a business and then becoming the boss of your finances, but stay with me on this. If you look at the tactics which are used every day to run successful companies, there's several key lessons that I think we could all use to help navigate us through our personal finance journey. And the first thing I think is to establish an actual strategy for your finances. This could be called a financial plan. Crazy. I know. Crazy. We all know that the bottom line is absolutely critical. It is everything. That's why you hear it all the time, right? And we've heard the tales of several companies who have failed to make enough for their bottom line and have gone away. And then you have others which seem to rake in all the profits and even start buying up other companies, not to mention like a certain retailer that you know, is pretty much going to take over the world and we all know and love and spend a lot of money with. But no matter what the scenario is that we see in business, it all comes down to how much profit is actually being made. But profits can only be gained when there is a strategy or a game plan or a plan of action, however the heck you want to refer to it, right? When one is actually in place. They don't just wake up and luck their way into a profit. There's a plan behind how they're going to do it, right? They come out with a business plan. I want you to come out with a financial plan. But that's how they do it. They don't just like, oh, I hope I can take over the world and do that today. No, they've got a plan. I challenge you. I want you to think about your career and your personal finances in the same way. Put together a strategy for your finances so you can make the most out of that salary you're earning right now. And there's several steps that you can do this to develop the overall plan. And we've talked about a lot of this on the show, but let's consolidate it down for a second, right? The first step, I think, is to recognize just the tools that are available, right, that are out there to help you in building the plan. You should establish specific short and long-term goals for your finances, right? What's realistic and achievable? And we've talked about smart goals before on the show, And then I think creating a budget. Yes, I said it, the dreaded B word. I waited till the third step. Come on, give me a little credit here. But like create a budget based on the financial goals that you just said were important that you wrote down. P.S. Write those down. So then you can tell your money exactly where you want it to go. And then I think you need to learn how to correctly track your revenue and eventually understand the profit model. And this is where I think a lot of people kind of fall off. Well, they probably fall off at the budget, let's be real. But once we get past that, then it's understanding the revenue and the profit and how it all blows together, right? Because a company can't survive without some sort of reporting. And truthfully, neither can your finances. You need to have a way of checking your financial health, right? We do those financial health assessments on Friday. This is the way to check the financial health to see how things are going. So utilizing some of the right tools, right? If we're running our own business, you would absolutely have to have specific software for your daily activities, right? Tracking the teams and the employees and what's happening. You'd have to understand how money's coming in and out. You might need multiple systems, right? Invoicing, 
you know, service facing marketing, you have to be able to complete those tasks and your finances are the exact same in this respect. Technically, yeah, you can handle everything like by snail mail and a pen and a paper and good luck. That sounds terrible. Why would you do that to yourself? Right. But you could utilize software to make things easier, right? In order to be the most productive, you should have the tools to help you run your finances correctly. And I think there's a ton of tools that are at our fingertips. And we've talked about some of this, right? You know, you need a budget is a fantastic software. We're not paid by them. This is a fantastic software. I think that could help everyone understand what's going on. And I just don't think budgets are for money nerds. Yes, I'm a nerd and I like this, but I think everyone, I don't care if you make seven figures a year, we have clients that do that. And we still say you should track your spending and more importantly, your savings. And where's that savings going? Cause that'll truly help guide your money to where you want to achieve your goals. It's a fantastic thing. Another tool in the toolbox, and this is a shameless plug here is a financial advisor. No matter how many spreadsheets you have or how much analysis you perform, sometimes you need the human touch to help guide you along the way. And this is where fee-only financial advisors can become one of many tools in your business. If this is what you think could be of value to you, I don't think that everyone has to use a financial planner, but if you think that this might be the case, head over to physicianwellservices.com. That's our fee-only financial planning site that we work with hundreds of physicians all across the country helping them put together these plans and implementing the plan that they're spending a ton of time and money putting this together. We will help you understand how all this kind of flows together. All right, imagine having someone you can turn to when you've got questions on student loan repayments or investments or savings. I think it's an invaluable tool. Maybe I'm a little biased on this one, but I think it's someone that, you know, is going to have quarterly or annual check-ins with you and make sure that you're on the right track and that your finances are healthy. And we'd be honored to work with you if you want to check us out again at physicianwellservices.com. Another tool is a balance sheet or a net worth statement. So in the business world, there's a financial statement that's referred to as a balance sheet. And a balance sheet in a business is the same as a net worth statement for your personal finances. Now your balance sheet or net worth statement, use them interchangeably for a second, has a list of your assets on one side and a list of your liabilities or your debts on another. And one day you want your assets to add up to more than your liabilities. Some of you, that is going to be a while and that's okay, but start tracking and understanding where things are. And to simply determine your net worth, it's just taking your assets minus your liabilities, right? What do you own versus what do you owe? Whatever's left is your net worth. The majority of the time it will be negative for the first few years, even as a new attending, but eventually that will rise and hopefully you end up having a multi seven figure net worth and can hit financial independence and retire happily. But for most physicians, the net worth statement is probably the scariest thing that they're going to look at because when you add up the list of debts, which includes your student debts and your car payments and a mortgage, you're going to suddenly see pretty much how lopsided that's going to appear. You might be thinking, okay, Ryan, that sounds terrible. Why would I do that? Why is it so important to create this? And the truth is, is because it gives you the truest picture of your financial health. All right, here's why I love net worth statements. Every time you make progress in your financial goals, you're going to see some sort of shift from your liabilities column to your assets column. So let's say that you have been putting together this emergency fund. You've got six months worth. That's what you deemed was adequate for your situation. And now that number is fully reflected in the assets column, and it's going to be larger than the last time you revised your statement. 
Okay. Another example would be like paying off your car. If you pay off that car, you no longer have the liability. And now you have the true car's value on the asset column. And trust me, when I tell you this, it's really satisfying. And maybe I'm just super nerdy, but I think it's really satisfying to watch your progress in the way that when debts leave and assets increase and that net worth number go up on your net worth statement, it's a fantastic feeling. The feeling when you've hit zero is probably the greatest feeling you're going to have. It's way cooler to hit zero than it is to hit a million dollars. Tell you that firsthand, way cooler, right? Your net worth statement though is also going to alert you when you start to move backwards and you're no longer in good financial health, right? If you're accumulating more debt, your liabilities will go up. Your assets may stay the same or go down, but your overall net worth number is going to go down. You go, oof, what happened? Like it's going to help kind of keep you in check to make sure you're also doing some of the right things. Now, every month you're making payments and progress towards repaying your debts and your liabilities should be decreasing, assuming obviously something new didn't get added to that column. Now, maybe I've gotten you this far. You're like, all right, I'll do that. How often? I think if you update it more than monthly, you're going to go nuts. I think quarterly is probably a really good, healthy balance. I can't fault you if you want to do it more because that means you're looking at your finances more and you're more in touch. And at some point that'll be unhealthy. But in the beginning, maybe not. But I think it's better to check your progress and then move on to the next goal than to kind of dwell over what is happening and updating this super regularly. There's something called an income statement. In business, you maybe even heard this as a profit and loss statement. And it's basically a list of all the revenue, costs, and expenses that came in during a defined period of time. Now, how does that relate to you? Well, you know what it is, right? It's your monthly budget. It's a great example of an income statement. You have your revenue, right? Your paycheck coming in every month. Then you have your fixed expenses, right? What it takes to live, like housing, utilities, and your other variable expenses, right? Those can fluctuate each month. And in an income statement, it's a great tool to help you manage your personal finances like a business because it's quickly going to tell you, do I have enough money to cover this fixed or variable cost or not? A negative number on the income statement will let you know that you had to dip into savings in order to pay or cover that cost. Or you had to go on out and earn additional revenue to cover what you owe. A positive number suggests that you're going to make a profit for that ending period. And then you need to assign the profit to its specific category, right? That could be, you know, are you putting money into your IRAs and investing that money? Are you paying down more debt additionally, right? How are you assigning that profit? Now, a residence income statement is going to look vastly different than an attendance income statement even ones that have been practicing for just a few years. The more money that comes in, I always joke and say the more problems, also the more things that you can end up doing with that money. And you're probably likely going to see a negative number if you're still in training. And that's okay, especially if this is the first time you've done it. The idea though is to just become more familiar with this because as you progress to mid and late career, the numbers get bigger. The risk of you messing things up could ultimately mean that you have to work a lot longer. And we don't want that to happen. So the good news is you can identify the opportunities to save money or cut out expenses by doing something like this. There's another thing called the cash flow statement, right? And in business, this is a report that someone may run. And this is very similar to the income statement because you have to list out each source of revenue that is being earned by your company. So as a physician, this might mean you have multiple streams of income. Could be salary, could be bonuses, maybe locums work. If you have a significant other, it could be their income. 
right? The cash flow statement helps you identify how much you have coming in. Now, while the cash flow statement is more frequently used in business than it might be in a personal finance setting, I think it's a really good indicator of revenue. And people talk about passive income. This is where you would track what other income flows you would have. And so when your business, quote unquote, needs additional revenue, right? Let's say that you're using the income statement, you're reviewing your expenses, you have your strategy established to achieve your goals, but you quickly realize that, well, the issue really isn't my expenses. It's that my income isn't high enough. And I think a lot of people don't focus on this piece and it's all about cutting costs and living like a resident and all this other stuff. When in reality, it can make some more money and things will become a little easier. I'm not talking like, oh, make from 200,000 to 500,000. That's a big jump, but maybe it's 200,000 to 220,000. That extra 20K that comes in could go a long way, right? So the same way that a business would need to, let's say, ramp up their efforts to bring in a higher revenue is the same way I want you to think about your own finances, right? If you're short on revenue, then you have to come up with solutions to generate more income. Otherwise, you're going to be forced to use maybe credit cards or take out a personal loan or dip into savings or liquidate investments. All of those are equally as bad. Do not do any of those if it is at all possible, right? Maybe there's ways that you or your spouse could increase the income, right? Good old fashioned side hustle. I'm not saying everyone needs to do this, but it could be specialized work, right? It could be locums. It could be med surveys. It could be being an expert witness. This is where you're going to see real estate investing, the new sexy topic that everyone wants to talk about. This is where this would actually come in. You know, you've got access to physician mortgage loans. Maybe if you're buying a house, you put a little less down and use that to buy other income producing properties. I mean, there's all sorts of ways that you could do this, but no matter how you want to achieve it, bringing in additional income will not only help you stop the cycle of incurring debt if you're in that process, but it's likely to help you achieve your goals that much quicker. The last piece I want to kind of chat on here is how you spend your profit. Because most people, they don't track how they're spending it. It just goes out. It's gone. And they go back and like, we make all this money. Where did all this money go? And the profit is you know what we're going to refer to in the business world is your bottom line. And when it's all said and done, you want to have more money in your pocket after you've paid everything you owe. And when you have a profit, then the thought is, well, how should we spend that profit? And this is probably where you expect me to say, well, you need to invest more and set it aside in savings. And yeah, you absolutely should have your emergency fund established and your debts paid off. But once you've achieved all those goals, what do you do now? Ultimately, I can't tell you how to do it unless we're working one-on-one, then that's very different. We can help build out a whole plan for this stuff. But in the show, I can't tell you how to spend that profit, but I want you to think about what items you maybe want to purchase ahead of time, right? This will allow you to be better prepared to spend on things that have more value to you and not just impulse spending. Think about the items that would bring you the most happiness. I know it's a little touchy feely, but like stick with me here for the last little bit. Okay. Things that bring you the most happiness, right? It could be the family vacation to Disney. It could be tickets to the favorite sports team. Like, Hey, I'm going to go to a Lakers game. This is going to be sweet except for, you know, after COVID. Cause I don't even know if they have people there yet, but you know what I mean? You want to have a strategy in place for the profits, the same way that you do for your income and your expenses, right? Manage your personal finances like a business. And when you choose to do that, it's going to help you focus on developing sound strategies for your money. It's going to force you to make more thoughtful decisions 
and tell your money exactly where to go. The absolute bottom line, you guys as physicians or part of physician families are going to come out ahead financially. As long as you work with the above average salary that you're earning, you have an actual game plan with your money, you realize the profit, and then you actually think about how you would like to spend that profit to maximize happiness. If you can do those things, you're doing pretty well. All right, moving over to our guest segment. I am really excited to bring on Dr. Brent Lacey with the scope of practice. Let's bring him on. I don't need to introduce him anymore. He's kicking butt. He's taking names. Let's bring him on and hear about what Dr. Lacey's up to, a little bit about his show. Let's have him drop some knowledge bombs on us. Brent, what's up, man? Welcome back on the show. Happy to have you here. Thanks. It's good to be back. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, too long, my friend, too long. So let's dive right in. So you've got The Scope of Practice, which is a fantastic podcast for those that maybe don't remember. I love the show. I think maybe give us a quick little highlight of what you talk about, and then I want to jump into our full discussion here for the segment. Yeah, so this is all the stuff that you didn't learn in medical school and dental school that you need to in order to run your business and your life. So when you graduate from residency, you're great at being a doctor, but you've got huge student loan debt and you don't really know how to run a practice. And so that's what we talk about on the scope of practice is how to level up your leadership skills, grow your business and master your personal finances. I love it. Well, obviously, you know, I'm a nerd for personal finances, so that's fantastic. But on leadership and on business revenue, I think that's really unique to be talking about those things. That's why I actually learned a little bit from your show. So it's kind of fun to listen in. But for everyone listening here, maybe let's talk a little bit about growing that bottom line, increasing business efficiencies or your business revenues. How might someone go about doing that if they work for a practice or they own a practice? Yeah. So I think the key thing that you need to realize when you're talking about your business profits, the only way that you can make more profits is to either decrease cost or increase your top line revenue. A lot of your costs are going to be fixed and you can do some things that will help you decrease your costs over time with having fewer personnel or having cheaper utilities or being careful with waste management and things like that. But most of the time, what I find when working with folks is that there's a lot of places where you could be utilizing your time more efficiently to be making money. And so one of the things that I always tell people, it's a really important to recognize is that the most important person in your practice is the patient. Okay. But the person whose time is the most valuable is the physician. That doesn't mean that your staff is less important or that you're somehow more valuable than everybody. But I mean, let's face it, you make money for your practice and everybody else in your practice costs you money. And so the commodity that is the most important for you to maximize from a revenue standpoint is the physician's time. Every hour that you spend in a week emailing patients or calling in results or filling out prescription forms or filling out FMLA forms, every minute that you do that is a minute that you could be seeing a patient or doing a procedure or doing something that actually makes you money. One of the things that I really have become more cognizant of now that I've left government service and have gone into private practice is how much better it is from a business model standpoint to have my staff be doing some of the stuff that I used to do. So for example, when I used to be in the military, I was the chief everything officer. I would do everything, right? I do my procedures. I'm seeing clinic. I'm writing prescriptions. I'm filling out forms. And you know, now I will have staff members that will, let's say, for example, I have a patient that comes in and says, hey, doc, I need this FMLA form filled out. I need a letter for an excuse for work. I need this form filled out for my school, whatever. So my staff fills out as much of that as they possibly can, and they bring it to me 
tabbed and highlighted and it says initial here, sign here, fill out these sections about the medical history. So I'm spending a fraction of the amount of time that I was otherwise going to have to spend doing this kind of stuff. And instead my staff's doing that. And so that's saving me anywhere from three to five to 10 hours a week. And depending on what your practice is, you could be saving more than that, depending on how much administrative stuff that you're doing. So you think about that on an economy of scale, if you're saving, let's say an extra hour a day, that's an extra, say, 20 hours a month. That's maybe another thousand hours a year. Think about if you replaced half of those hours with procedure time, with seeing patients, with doing things that actually make you money, you can grow your revenue huge and it doesn't really take that much effort. So you need to figure out ways to delegate things to your staff or automate certain processes and use your electronic medical record to be able to achieve that or just get rid of it. If there's stuff that you don't need to be doing and that nobody needs to be doing, then you know just get rid of it. The other thing that I think is really important for people to recognize is that there are a lot of ways that money just kind of leaks out of your practice. And what I mean by that is that it's very common for folks to show up to their procedure and their insurance is going to deny the service because it hasn't been pre-certified or hasn't been pre-authorized or something like that. So finding ways to eliminate those little areas where you're not getting paid for the work that you've rightfully done is going to be really important. So those are just a couple of ways that you can do it, but you got to be paying attention to all these little things and think of it on an economy of scale. Because if you make one change that buys you back 20 minutes or buys you back $100 a patient or something like that, and you multiply that out over the course of a year times however many doctors are in your practice, you could be talking about hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars. And you just got to think about it. But a lot of times it's identifying those very small changes that you can make that then blow up and magnify when you talk about it on an economy of scale. Yep. It just reminds me of the saying, time is money, friend, right? Just making sure that you realize that as you're trying to be efficient with work, I'm not saying that every minute of the day needs to be productive and you need to be charging for that. And no one should work that much. But when you are working, being productive, it actually is very beneficial to the bottom line if you can figure out how to do it. So Brent, thank you for coming on. For everyone, he has the Scope of Practice podcast. It's a fantastic podcast. If you like what you just heard, this is just a small fraction of all the stuff he chats on on his podcast. Highly recommend his podcast. He's been on here before. He'll be back. We need to do it actually more frequently than once every like 18 months. I don't even know how that went by. We need to have you back on, but everyone, I encourage you to check him out. He's one of our founding members of the Dr. Podcast Network, which is also really exciting. So Brent, thank you for coming back on. We appreciate you. Thanks for having me back. All right. Well, it's always nice having Brent on the show and I appreciate him being here. Let's head over to our financial malpractice and get a little education around what not to do. We've brought on John Apino who is a famous contract. You're hilarious. You're hilarious. I'm messing with him. I love having him on. John, thank you so much for partnering with us and for being on the show and really helping out with this segment. This is such a fun segment to do. So what horror story do you have for us today with respect to contracts? Yeah, so we are seeing a lot more less than full-time employment with physicians. So you know, it used to be everybody worked full time. And if the physician of yesterday, you know, used to work till they were 74, you know, 60, 70 hours a week. Well, that's not how physicians anymore. You look at retirement patterns of physicians, it's changed. You look at 
the intent of new grads to retire early, and it's dramatically different than it was over time. And if you look at the dedication from a time perspective that many physicians have coming out these days, it's much less than it used to be. And so we do a lot of physicians who are working 0.6 or 0.8 and not a typical 1.0 full-time equivalent. And most often, various things are prorated in contracts. So if we offer a salary of X, we would prorate it if you're working less than full-time. Of course, vacations, sometimes prorated, sometimes they prorate CME funds and all of those. And so I think a physician expects if I'm working four days a week or 0.8, not 1.0, that there will be differences in pay. Well, we worked with a gal a while back and we went over her salary, discussed the agreement, gave her some good tips and pointers. She went back, she discussed everything with them, signed the contract, everything was fine. And then when she starts a week into her employment, she ends up being called in for a meeting. She was working 0.8. And they said, hey, we have made a big mistake. We forgot to prorate your salary. So they were offering her what a full-time physician would have, but yet she was working 0.8. And they said, we are so sorry. This is our mistake, but we need to change your salary starting next paycheck to you know 80% of what your contract says. Of course, she says, I don't know that I would have taken this job. I think that it's fair for the point eight that my current salary, I don't know that it's fair at 20% less. So she ends up calling me and she says, John, what do I do? And I basically said, I think maybe you work with them. Realize that I don't think it was with intent and go and talk with them and try to find a happy medium. And she went in, they had a really good discussion and she actually got them to commit to the full salary for the point eight work for a year and then to reevaluate it on month 10, you know, two months notice to sit down and say, hey, how are things going? Let's talk about next year. Let's talk about if you're going to keep at point eight or if you're going to go up or down. Let's talk about the salary, knowing that there would be no guarantee that she would be able to stick at the 1.0 salary for her point eight work. And she was happy with that. And I was happy too. I think the point of the story is, is you know, obviously doing due diligence when you talk about the contract is important, but that mistakes can happen. And this is an unfortunate one, but I think she could have done one of two things. She could have said, okay, guys, I understand it's a mistake and no worries, no harm. And she could have signed it and just tried to impress the group knowing that she wants them to like her and it was her first week at work. And instead she got advice and the advice yielded you know, an extra 20 or 30,000 bucks to her over the course of the year. I haven't talked with her yet as far as how the after the first year went. It was a recent one. You can imagine a horror story when you go to expect being paid at a certain amount and you start to plan your financial life around that. And all of a sudden you realize that it's potentially 20% less. That's horrifying to me as the planner. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, because you probably took this. You probably look whether it's rent or you bought a house or you've got student debt payments, maybe refinance things. Like all of a sudden, all those things that are starting to take effect, you might've relied on. And if you got pay cut, that quickly, that can be catastrophic for what you're doing. I'm happy that they worked it out. It won't always work out that way. But the idea that they were willing to do that, I was thinking maybe just split the difference. And that might have been that happy medium for there. But I'm happy that she was able to work through that doesn't always happen that way. Versus just accepting it. We gave her a bunch of different options that she could go in with. They ended up agreeing to her first. This is why I feel this is reasonable. And Here's what the market bears. And I don't think the group had hired anybody for three years anyways. And so I think they maybe weren't aware of current market rates anyways. As we know, people who listen to this podcast, I'm assuming, have a very good financial mind and they probably plan where most dollars go and all of a sudden realizing that they need to redo that plan with their financial advisor is something that can be important. Yeah. 
Well, thank you so much for being on. This is a great story. For those of you that need contract help and a review, we love partnering with John and his firm at Contract Diagnostics. You can reach out to him at financialresidency.com slash contract. All right, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed the show today. I love nerding out about how to think about your finances like a business. I was happy that Dr. Lacey joined us and the financial malpractice, of course, is just a super fun little segment we've been doing. The community is growing strong. If you have not joined us, please do so. If you've made it here, you are actually dedicated to understanding your personal finances and feeling more comfortable and taking control. And I love it. Absolutely love it. I want you to nerd out with us. Come join our community, financialresidency.com slash community. Come hang out. You can join us. It's free to do just like this podcast is. If somehow you are not subscribed to the show, please click subscribe. Come back. Go look at the hundreds of episodes we've been doing over the last few years. You'll probably learn a thing or two. If you've been around the block, you've been here for a while. This is customary. You stay till the very end because you're an amazing person please share this episode with at least one other person that is part of a physician family. I really want to hit as many physicians as we can. And I think this stuff will really help them out in figuring out what to do with their personal finances and honestly just protect them, arm them with the knowledge so they're more in control of what's going on. Before we end, I want to make sure that we mention our sponsor one last time, and that is don't forget to reach out to MR Insurance Consultants with Michael Relvis, where their goal is to assist physicians in obtaining the most comprehensive coverage available to fit your unique needs. So reach out for both excellent and quality service by going to drpodcastnetwork.com slash MR Insurance. All right, little man, my guy, take it away. Let's hear that important disclaimer. This is for entertainment purposes only. Do not take this as investment advice. My dad is only a fiduciary for his clients. Have a great day. Bye.